Hello, this is the Pod Goblins Hat, a podcast about the Moomins. This is episode 15, which is about presence, trees and danger. I'm Dave, a person who tries to pacify the peril of the Christmas every year. I'm Nina, an excellent gift giver. She's not wrong. And we're reading all the way through Tuve Janssen's Moomin's books together. It's the first time for me. Whereas if I wrote my memoirs, the Moomin's would be featured pretty regularly. We're reading the storybooks for children in order of publication. And eventually we will cover all of Tuve Janssen's Moomin stories. And today we're reading The Fir Tree from the Tales from Moomin Valley short story collection and other places. And in some of those other places it has a different title. So one of the versions I read of it for this week was called The Christmas Tree. Oh, I'm reading it in the puffin paperback Tales from Moomin Valley, the red one with the invisible child going upstairs, as translated by Thomas Warburton. I've also got in my hand a copy of The Invisible Child and the Fir Tree, two Moomin stories, which was released as a special edition. Proceeds from it went to Oxfam, and so people may have seen it there. The version of the fir tree in that book is the Thomas Warburton one. Mm -hmm. But the other version of this story that I read for this episode was in a book called A Golden Land Stories, Poems, Songs, Old and New, edited by James Reeves. And this is a book from my childhood and probably the childhood of quite a few of my siblings. The year that this was first released was 1958 and... This one in my hand was probably reprinted in 1977. It's a collection of different stories, as it's sort of said. And the version of the fir tree in this one is called The Christmas Tree. And the translator of this one was Marianne Turner, who also translated a lot of the Pippi Longstocking books by Astrid Lindgren. So this is an older version. It's the one that I really know well. Okay. Partly because it's the one that I have read to my niece. The other reason that I've heard it a lot is because my dad recorded a version of it on one of my childhood story tapes. Cool. And now, here's the story of the Moomin Christmas. That translation is very different from the one that Nina read. Oh, that's really interesting. And we'll do comparative readings later on. So that's my first Christmas present or Christmas cracker. We've 
pulled it, it's exploded, and there's two different versions of the story. And I'm actually sad. I wanted to tell you in advance, but I knew you had some surprises for me, and I wanted to have some surprises for you as an exchange. But I'm also sad because I actually think that the version I read was the better edition. I might seek out the other translation then. You absolutely should. I 100% think it's better. Well, we're going to trash you, Thomas Warburton. That said, there's some things that are better about Thomas Warburton's edition. themes our theme for all of the moomin's books that we're looking at is relationships yes and our theme for all of the stories that are in the tales from moomin valley which this story is the last story within our theme for all of those is fables so we're going to quickly define a fable fables are short stories which are built around a moral lesson. They often even state the moral lesson at the end. They typically feature anthropomorphised animals or natural elements, usually two of them. There used to be folklore often passed down orally. You can probably think of some by Aesop. We talked about some last week with La Fontaine. We're going to look at these through a sort of fable-like lens. I often find as a contrarian that I often get a very different moral from the one that the story is trying to tell me yeah so i think we should look at the morals in these stories and what contradicting messages we can pull out of them i reckon if you think about the the story of the little red hen where everybody has to join in in order to create the food and when they don't they kind of don't get to eat the food i often think well this tells you that the little red hens are really annoying (laughs) and actually talking as you just were about people orally telling stories, reading stories. In my research for the fir tree, I found out that very frequently or every year, according to the Moomin's official website, on Christmas Eve in Finland, people can listen to Tuve Jansson herself reading this story aloud on national radio. Oh, that's nice. In Swedish. And that is kind of repeated every year, I guess, as part of their Christmas traditions. Oh, it's better than the Queen's Speech, isn't it? Well, we have the Queen's Speech, but we do have some actually good fiction. Yeah, we've got the snowman. This attic's full of memories for me. We spent all our summers by the seaside. And in winter, at home, by the fire. Frost on the window. And snow... Snowballs and making snowmen. One winter I met a really big snowman. He got this scarf for me. 
You see, he was a real snowman. The snowman is a good reference. But also, you can enjoy and listen to Tuve Janssen's niece, Sophia Janssen, reading The Fir Tree in English, which is available on YouTube. What I would say about that, listener, is some people are good at reading stories out loud, but not everybody is. I prefer my dad's version, I'm not going to lie. But what I did discover is that the way that you pronounce Tuve according to her niece is somewhere a little bit close to what I do, but also a little bit close to what you do sometimes. We'll put a little clip in of Sophia saying it right here for listeners, so that even if we never get it right, her niece has on our show. (laughs) The Fur Tree by Tome Janssen. You ready for the synopsis? Am I ever? Hang on, is it after the synopsis I open the present? After. But I want to open the present now! (laughs) (laughs) So this story is set in winter. It's winter again. The Moomin house, once again, buried in snow. A Hermulin is on the roof, so he's trying to find his way in. He's wearing yellow woolen mittens, and they've become wet and disagreeable. And he's annoyed because he's been sent to wake up the Moomins because it's Christmas, even though like he hasn't finished his Christmas plans and he's all stressed about it. And like the Moomins are just sleeping and sleeping and sleeping. Finds the hatch, he's like, does it open in or out? Turns out it opens in, he falls into the attic, which is full of the various stuff that the Moomins store up there. So he comes down into the living room where everyone's sleeping. He wakes them up. He says, it's Christmas, don't you know? And he's lost his mittens and he's got no plans of his own. So he leaves again. The Moomins are confused. They're like, is it spring? No, something's on. They call it Christmas. Moomin Troll goes and wakes up the Snork Maiden. The Snork Maiden sort of stirs and he goes, don't be afraid, but something terrible is happening. (laughs) They go outside. It's snowy. Moomin Papa wanders about, whether it's the egg whites that have come out, I guess, of the Hobgoblin's hat. Little callback to Finn Family Moomin Troll. If you're reading the most recent edition, it's slightly different in the uh, original. Oh, the Hemulin's aunt comes sledding over and she's got a big fir tree on the sledge. And she tells them they'd better get one. And they try to ask her why, but she's like, too busy. <laughs> Off she goes. Whereas if it's the earlier edition that I read, it's the Mimble. Oh. Not a Hemulin aunt. Interesting. There are different pictures in my edition too. Oh. Dash, dash, dash. So they're like, a fir tree before it gets dark. Is that when the danger comes then? Is it for protection? So they better get one. Moomin Troll, Moomin Papa, hop Gaffsy's fence and scrump one of hers because Moomin Papa is particular about his own fir trees. And again, it's Mrs. Philly Jonk's back garden in my edition, not Gaffsy. They run into Gaffsy. On the way back, luckily, she doesn't recognise her own tree. She's carrying, like, a pile of presents. She drops them all. They're like, what's the tree for? And she's like, oh, don't talk to me about trees. I haven't even dressed mine. So, what? You're supposed to dress them? At home, Moomin Mama has gathered the supplies, the shovel, the life belts, the aspirin, the warm compresses, and the gun. Yeah, the gun. Also, while Moomin Troll and Moomin Papa have been out, a small woody has appeared. In my edition, it's a little squeak, not a woody. The little squeak slash woody (laughs) is incredibly shy, painfully shy, can barely speak, but has been given a cup of tea because it was looking so forlorn. Papa arrives with the tree and says it should be dressed, and the woody slash little squeak (laughs) knows how, as beautifully as you can. So it mustn't be for hiding in then. 
says Moomin Papa, if it's to be dressed up beautifully. So everybody goes and finds beautiful things they can think of, their own jewellery, bits of the chandelier, ribbons. And then the Hemulin aunt comes by again, and she's in a terrible hurry. And she mentions that she's got no food ready for Christmas, and you don't get away with less than a dinner at Christmas at least. And so they're like, oh gosh, is Christmas going to be really hungry? So Moomin Mama cooks all afternoon and lays it out all around the tree, and then it gets dark. And down in the valley, the windows are all lighting up. And Moomin Papa's like, okay. So he goes and finds some candles and they put them all around the fir tree. The Hermulin goes past again, muttering to himself about presents. Moomin Troll tries to give him back his mittens, but the Hermulin is in far too much of a hurry. So they're like, oh, presents as well. So everyone wraps their most precious things and hangs them on the tree. And then the Woody comes back, or the little Squeak comes back <laughs> with all its relations and says, Merry Christmas and admires the tree, and nobody said anything about Christmas being merry up until this point. Although in my edition, it's happy. <laughs> <laughs> and this family of little squeaks slash woodies is just sat enthralled by the tree. They're like, it's such a lovely tree, and you've got real presents and candles. Oh, we've never had a Christmas of our own. And so Moomin Papa and Moomin Mama have a little sort of sidebar chat to each other, and they come back and go, you can have it, it's yours. And they're so happy. The Moomin family go back inside and hide under the table to await Christmas. They look out the window and the little creatures are all having a great time. They've climbed up into the branches and stuck all the candles in the branches and they're eating the food and opening the presents. Right at the top of the tree, they've put Moomin Mama's silk rose, which was a present from Moomin Papa. And one of the little creatures' uncle says, oh, it should really be a star. But, you know, once you've got the right idea... And the Moomins look up at the sky and in the middle of winter, the stars are so bright and the very brightest one is shining right above the fir tree. And they're like, yeah, maybe the Hemulin, his aunt and the Gaffsy just got it wrong. And so they decide to go back to bed. They lay out the mittens on the veranda rail for the Hemulin to find and everyone goes back to bed until spring, the end. They looked up at the sky, so black and distant but incredibly full of stars, a thousand times more full than in the summer, and the biggest of them all stood right above the top of their tree. I'm rather sleepy, said Moomin Mama, and I'm too tired to think any more about the meaning of all this, but it seems to be turning out all right. In any case, I'm not afraid of Christmas now, said Moomin, I think Hemelin and the Mimble and Mrs. Filionk must have got things mixed up somehow. And they put Hemelin's yellow gloves on the veranda railing to make sure that he would find them, and went inside to continue their long sleep while they waited for spring to come again. Que je donnerai à mamie au premier jour de mai Deux jets bleus couvant leurs œufs, Une perdriole qui vole dans les bois Une perdriole qui va, qui vient, qui vole Ce que je donnerai à mamie au premier jour de mai Trois corbeaux qui guettent sur un chicot, deux jets bleus couvant leurs œufs, une perdriole qui vole dans les bois. 
Une paire de rioles qui va, qui vient, qui vole. Now you can open the parcel. Oh, I can open the parcel. And while I'm doing that, I'll just say that another little trivial difference is the Hemelin in the original or the earlier edition has gloves, not mittens. Oh. Uh, now I'm opening a parcel that came in the mail to me the other day. On it, it says, do not open until recording the fir tree on one side. And on the other side, it says, hashtag justice for the snort maiden. So clearly Nina knows me well. Okay, so so far what I've got is a handful of bubble wrap. Good. I'm casting that aside. I have another handful of bubble wrap. So I've now got to a, what looks like, whoa, whoa. So I got to a spaghetti packet. <laughs> and inside that spaghetti packet are some... Of the biscuits exploded out at you. Some Christmas biscuits that attacked me, Lister. And uh, that's very Christmassy, <laughs> covered in crumbs. And yes, some nice looking Christmas biscuits. I'll have a little nibble. See if you can identify the unusual flavour. Hmm. Now, I'm getting very shortbread vibes. Well, it is shortbread, but I've added something. The shape is a clue. You've added pine needles. Yep. <laughs> that explains why it looks a bit strange. I was like, has she accidentally put some dog hair in this? So I was trying to eat around it, but now I realise that's that's pine no. needles. <laughs> I'm very hygienic in my food preparation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I gathered the pine needles from the forest and I washed them and then I chopped them up with the flour. But it's true that there's still some fibrous parts. If that's what you thought was hair, it's not that's hair, right. it's pine. No, 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 now I am assured. <laughs> I wouldn't send you dog hair biscuits. It was a very good biscuit. It tasted very nice, even better once I knew what was in it. I'm now able to hibernate for the winter because yep. I have some pine needles inside me. Now I'm opening it further because there is clearly some further presence in this. This one's got some tape on it. I'm untaping it. Just to give you a picture of what's happened to me here, listener. I'm covered in crumbs. My hands are covered in, in tape. My floor is covered in rubbish. You're welcome. <laughs> I've taken off one layer of bubble wrap, but there's more. It's fragile. I'm starting to see an idea of what it might be. But like with many things, because I can see a little bit of it, it's now more confusing to me, not less. <laughs> I can see sort of a shape of some kind of glass sort of shape. I can see some kind of knitted thing, but I do have not yet found out what it is. Aha. So this is very, very nice, listeners. I'm trying not to get too emotional. It's nice because it's the kind of present that's been like completely made for you with a very specific knowledge of a thing. So what I'm holding in my hand is a bauble for a Christmas tree. Inside the glass bauble is some fake snow. It's felt. It looks like cotton wool. Yeah. So it kind of speaks to the story that we've just synopsified. Also, on top of the snow are two little crocheted, like the smallest hemelin that we have met. Yes. They're two little yellow mustard-coloured 
mittens or gloves, depending on which edition you're reading. So this is very nice. I don't know if I'll have a Christmas tree this year, but I can hang it on the top of my knapsack that I take around (laughs) as I move around the world like Snufkin. Thank you very much, Nina, from the bottom of my heart. You're welcome. And I see forests, and it's the 25th of December, and my old man plays the piano for Christmas. He plays the piano for Christmas. And we're all there, all the aunties and uncles and the angels on the top of the tree. Up there on the top of the tree. So let's start with the word differences and then we'll get to the picture differences for the second of the two presents of this edition. So the Christmas tree, it starts differently. The biggest reason being that this is in a collected volume and so it doesn't just need to introduce you to the story, but it needs to introduce you to the Moomins in case you didn't know the Moomins. Okay. I don't know if this was ever written by Tuve Janssen or by the people who put the edition together, but it starts with this. In the words of Moomin Mama, real trolls are small, shy and hairy, and there are lots of them in the Finnish forests. Moomin trolls, however, are smooth, and whereas the common troll pops up only in the dark, they love the sunshine. The Moomins go to sleep in the winter, as they do not particularly care for the cold. They are proud of the house which they built themselves, and although alarming and extraordinary things often happen there, life is never boring, and that is a good thing. They have many curious but likeable friends in Moominland, not least the Hemulins, who are a larger and somewhat thinner kind of Moomin troll. They are addicted to wearing a lot of clothes. Hemulin aunts... What? This is just what's <laughs> written, I agree. Hemelin aunts are apt to be rather solid characters who say, please be sensible or wash your hands. So you see how Hemelin was easily put out. And then it goes into a version of the story. Okay. And I agree. I'm not sure it's completely right about the history of trolls. Now we've met ancestors and stuff like that. Certainly isn't really right about Hemulins. I don't think they're particularly thinner. No. They're kind of about the same, but taller. It's not right about addicted to clothes. That's weird. But the actual writing of it is really different. One of the things that's different about it is it calls it The Christmas in this edition, Um. which you actually said to me in our text chat, why doesn't this story say The Christmas? And I think it might have been because you have had some access to this in the recesses of your mind because you used to listen to Getting Better Acquainted and so you may have heard clips of my dad reading it. Oh, maybe. And so in that, he will have said The Christmas. And just before twilight, the Christmas's food was ready and arranged in small cups round the tree. Yes. And so you had remembered the better version in your mind and you had expected to find it there and it was not there. While we're talking about my dad, something that's in my book is the immortal line in my family. It goes like this. It goes, calm, said Moomin Papa, calm above all. Calm, said Moomin Papa, calm above all. And that is something that in my family, people say to people all the time. They say like, calm above all, said Moomin Papa. It's always when everybody's stressed out. Does it ever help to say calm? No, it doesn't. Does it help in this story? Not really. And in your version... He doesn't say that. 
Moomin Papa said, easy now. Yeah, it's not the same at all. It's not as good, right? No. It's not as good. So let's read some comparative paragraphs. So let's start with the modern edition. So if you could read, there is a paragraph that starts, the Moomin family was hibernating. The Moomin family was hibernating in the drawing room, as they were wont to do. They had been sleeping for a few months already and were going to keep it up until spring. A sweet sleep had rocked them through what felt like a single long summer afternoon. Now all at once a cold draught disturbed Moomin Troll's dreams, and someone was pulling at his quilt and shouting that he was tired and Christmas was coming. (laughs) That is good. I mean, it's good in both versions, but this is my version. Down below, all the Moomin family lay in their snug winter retreat. They had slept for several months and intended to go on sleeping until spring. The Moomins loved to forget about winter in this way. They slept as softly and comfortably as on a long, warm summer afternoon. Now sudden anxiety, or perhaps it was cold air, broke in upon Moomin's dreams. Someone was pulling the quilt off him and shouting that it was vexed with him and that it was going to be Christmas. (laughs) They're both good. They are both good. Okay, so I'll do the next extract and then you can read the new version of it. But the entire valley was covered in wet cotton wool. The hills, the trees, the river, and the whole house. And it was cold, colder even than in April. Is this what they call Christmas? asked Moomin Mama, surprised. She picked up a pawful of the cotton wool and looked at it. I wonder if it's grown out of the ground, she said, or fallen from the sky. If this all came down at once, how very uncomfortable it must have been. But all the valley was filled with wet cotton, the mountains and the trees and the river and the roof, and the weather was cold, much colder than April. Is this the egg whites? Moomin Papa asked wonderingly. He scooped up some of the cotton in his paw and peered at it. I wonder if it's grown out of the ground, he said, or fallen down from the sky. If it came all at the same time, that must have been most unpleasant. Now, this is really interesting, right? Why have they given Moomin Mama's lines to Moomin Papa? I'll tell you why. Because we just read Moominland Midwinter. Oh, she would know. She knows. Yes. Moomin Troll knows. So yes. in your edition, Moomin Troll says, but Papa, it's snow. Yeah. I know it is. And it doesn't all fall at the same time. In my edition, no one corrects. Right. So... For continuity reasons, Thomas Warburton is quite correctly gone, hang on, this doesn't make sense. They know what snow is, so he's changed it all around. And he's also added in the egg whites to refer back to other stuff. Oh, that's nice, Thomas Warburton. I like that. So that's why I've chose those two comparisons, because I think the first one shows why my one is a bit better. The language is generally better. Even the second of the readings I did, the language is a bit better. But in Thomas Warburton's version, the continuity makes more sense. Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of the Christmas as it goes on as well. And there's a word that I had to look up in my version, but it's already translated in your version. So okay. in my version, it says, got out the life belt, the aspirin and Moomin Papa's rifle and had made hot fomentations, which I looked up. And a fomentation is a poultice. Yeah. It says hot compresses. Yeah, hot compresses, which is another word for poultice. I'm sad in a way because I got to find out hot fomentations, which is a pretty cool word. (laughs) So I'm sad for people not getting to look that up. But I also think it's probably better 
to actually translate it yeah. into kind of words that the the modern people understand. So now we'll get to the picture differences. My second present to you, Nina. So I'm sending you some pictures now. <laughs> that's definitely a Philly junk. Oh, that's an old style spelling of yogurt. The mimble went past with a tree across her toboggan chair. So you've awakened at last, she said casually. Be sure you find a tree before it gets dark. But why? began Moomin Papa. Too busy to stop now, shouted the mimble over her shoulder and hurried on. Evidently you need a tree to be safe, Moomin Papa said thoughtfully. And the peril is coming tonight. The mimble on a toboggan with the presents looks a lot like little Mai. In your version, it is the Hamilton aunt. Instead of that, it's a mimble that looks like little Mai. Could be grown up little Mai, become a mimble. Yeah. In the newer translations, you've got a picture of Gaffsy holding a load of presents going past. Gaffsy doesn't look like how I imagined a Gaffsy to look in that picture, so it's very confusing. No. And they've got a lot of pictures of just random people in the winter. <laughs> random people being stressed about Christmas. And the third of the pictures I've, I've sent you is a picture of the Christmas tree with the yeah. Moomin family hiding behind it. And for some reason, in all of the versions of the modern retelling, they've broken those two pictures up. So you never sort of see them together. Mm. Get a picture of the Moomins hiding under the table and then you get the Christmas tree separate from that. Whereas the original picture had both. Yeah, and the Christmas tree decorations are slightly different as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think yours is a bit nicer. I mean, you can see the Christmas tree better. They've done some very interesting shading stuff in the new edition. Actually, the stars are really nice, the way they've put the stars in behind the tree. Yeah, that is nice. But um, it makes it a bit harder to see what's on the tree. And I think that version is all about the tree, right? You don't see the moving yeah. family hiding in the corner. There's two reasons, I guess, for that change. Number one, in the actual story, they're not in the same room. They're inside no, the house they're looking, looking out. The window. Yeah. And the other reason is because it's a more easy Christmas card front cover yep. without the confusing question of why is there a family of Moomins hiding. <laughs> yeah. But the pictures are real nice in mine. They're much more evocative than that picture of the Gaffsy, which looks a bit funny as well. I think there's something about the way that they've scanned in the picture, mm. like whereby these look like half formed pencil drawings. Maybe they were. Yeah. Whereas the versions in mine have nice crisp, crisp lines. lines. Interesting. That's my present to you. I know you like a little bit of this interesting translator differences. I do. Look at all the food, said one of the relations longingly. And real presents, said another relation. All my life I've been dreaming of seeing this close too, added the squeak with a sigh. Can you read out the foods that are under your little Mai-ish picture? They're different foods as well, right? Yes. Okay. There was fruit juice, yogurt, bilberry pie, eggs, and various other things that the Moomin family liked. In the modern edition, it's fruit juice, yogurt, blueberry pie, and eggnog. And I found a Guardian recipe for eggnog based on the Moomins when I was doing research. It sounds disgusting. Do you like eggnog? I feel like I've maybe had it and tried to erase it from my memory. It's an egg drink. Yeah, I'm not into the idea. I'm not down with egg drinks. I like eggs a lot. Yeah, 
Which is what was in the original translation, eggs. You've got eggs every day, though, as has previously been mentioned. I have, but I wouldn't drink them. <laughs> so maybe you should use some of your surplus eggs to try eggnog. I would never waste a precious egg on eggnog. And if you don't like it, you can give it to old men walking past the house. <laughs> To be seasonal to them. <laughs> I have to be very careful with my Christmas hospitality, though, listeners. It backfires. The thing is that I do things like the cookies I just gave Dave. I bake cookies for my neighbours at Christmas because I don't want to buy them anything. But I also want to maintain the goodwill, the neighbourly friendliness into the new year. But people think this is much more thoughtful from me than it is. And then they think I want to be friends with them. And I don't. Yeah, that's definitely a very Nina problem. The other problem that can come from such behaviours, I've lived with somebody that has similar behaviours for a lot of my life, is that you could end up having a lot of work, like basically making a jam as a living for like the whole of <laughs> December, making jam up into the early hours of the morning. These lovely, beautifully thoughtful gifts which most people will just stick in their fridge and like eat like any other jar of jam, you know? They're not going to care as much as you're going to care. And it can sometimes mean that you just get very frazzled, stressed out. Yes. Well, I've got a rule now about it, so to prevent this from happening. Take my tips, listener. Find a recipe that you like to do that, and then don't improve on it. Don't do more. Do not up the ante. Do not have, like, project creep. Just do the same thing every year, because also... That way your neighbours won't up the ante? Yes. Like, I don't want to end up in, like, a presents arms race. That's what it is. That's what Christmas is. I mean, we've seen that in this very story. Everybody's stressed <laughs> yeah. out because of the Christmas arms race. So getting back to the food in my book, I think mm. yoghurt is just an archaic spelling of yoghurt, or it's a typo. No, no, it did used to be spelled like that. So for listeners, that's Y-O-G-H-O-U-R-T. I'm sure you're supposed to pronounce it yogurt, but it's yogurt. Yogurt. And bilberry pie rather than. I don't like that they changed it to blueberry, do you? Well, I feel like that's like a nod to the American readers, isn't it? But do they have blueberries in Finland? Probably. I mean, you get blueberries in some parts of Europe, I think. You can grow them here, but they're a bit fussy. Bilberry, I did look up, and it's, a, it's just a type of berry that's rarely yeah. used for much. One of those berries that you won't have used up with something else, so it's a good winter staple. Same as elderberries. Yeah, I was going to say elderberry is the closest. You wouldn't just pick one off the tree to have a snack of, but if you pick enough of them. Public safety announcement listener, do not eat raw elderberries. They will make you sick. If you cook them, it's fine. That's another reason you don't snack them off the tree like you would a blackberry. Bilberries as... The Wildlife Trust says are similar to blueberries, but have red inner flesh rather than white flesh. They have a number of different names across geographical regions in the UK. Blaeberry in Scotland, so that's B-L-A-E, berry. Wartleberry, Wimberry, Winberry and Ertz. Ertz. <laughs> U-R-T-S. I mean, I just liked all those words. They all sound very moominy. Yeah, they do. I'd like all of those berries to be included in stories. Exactly. I would prefer all those over blueberry. So I was looking at juice and I was thinking, juice not very wintry, is it? But then I looked in Moomin's cookbook. In the winter's evening section, there is something called orange delight. 
It is made with fresh orange juice, lemon juice, water, sugar, potato flour. It's like a thickened juice drink dessert thing. It's called a kissel. Ooh, that's a good word. So maybe that's what it is. I guess it's like a really thin jelly or a really thick juice. Slurping consistency. Maybe you can try a kissel this Christmas if you don't fancy eggnog. I've looked up the eggnog recipe now. Okay. It's by Kate Young. Oh, I do trust Kate. And she's the one who, who's done other Moomin recipes and children's book recipes, right? Yes. The ingredients are whole milk, cream, mace, ground nutmeg, ground cinnamon, two eggs, caster sugar, bourbon. Is it like a drinking custard then? It seems like it. With those kind of ingredients, it reminds me of like eggy bread, that kind of thing. Pour the simmering milk over the yolks, whisking constantly to prevent them from scrambling. Yeah, that's a custard. Then add the bourbon. <laughs> Beat the whites to a soft peak and then fold it in. Oh my goodness, it does sound very complicated for something that <laughs> maybe... I mean, I'm, I'm convinced it might taste nicer now I've seen those ingredients. Okay, I'm not. I mean, I'd put all of those kind of ingredients in hot chocolate. Sure. But not the eggs. Not the eggs. I do put a knob of butter on my hot chocolate. Do you? On my cocoa, yeah. That comes from my dad, I guess, from the wartime okay. kind of attitude. But it's real nice. So rather than like whipped cream? I mean, I would put whipped cream on as well, although I don't, because I don't tend to have whipped cream in my house. Right. So it's sort of your fatty dairy element. For listeners, if you want to know my current hot chocolate thing, I have like a spoon of cocoa, like to make it, to make the paste. Then I put full cream milk into it, like a professional, I heat my milk in the microwave during every minute or so and then I, I put a small bit of cinnamon small bit of nutmeg quite a lot of ginger mix all that in bit of pepper bit of sea salt knob of butter done tasty we'll put the recipe on twitter <laughs> and on instagram we can do like a little cooking video with dave tis the season to have hot chocolate yeah do you have hot chocolate in summer i don't I don't really want it until about November. I have perfected that recipe in August, so okay. yes. <laughs> Let's go from that to the egg white snow then. So you mentioned that that is a Thomas Warburton edition to call back to Finn Family Moomin Troll, which I think is really nice. There's also the hiding under the table, watching for a result on the veranda, which they did when they stuck the poor antlion inside the hobgoblin's hat. There's shells from the flower beds from Comet in Moominland. There's the anklet from the Snort Maiden's Ankle, from Comet in Moominland, and there's Gaffsy from Midwinter, but you're saying she wasn't in it. No, but either way, it's a callback to a different book. I thought all that placed it in the chronology quite nicely. Although it does happen after Moominland Midwinter, so yeah. your version works in the chronology in a way that my version doesn't. So Thomas Warburton has made the canon work yeah. in a way that maybe Tuva didn't. I think your version was translated to go in a sort of decontextualized space, right? Yeah. You're reading it alongside stories not about the Moomins, not necessarily in canon order. So I guess that stuff didn't matter for that translation or that translator. Yeah, I mean, the biggest crime of the translation differences is losing the Christmas. Like, yeah. do you think the Christmas is very hungry? It's great. Yeah, it's That's better. That's a great line. To pacify the darkness and the Christmas. It makes it like a, a force. Yeah. 
And that is how Christmas feels to me. Yeah, so I sort of like that this is an anti-Christmas Christmas story. I'm surprised that I like it, right? That's <laughs> Christmas, so we'll start. It's on with the lights to warm the dark It can cloak elsewhere As the rot stops for today Let the rot stop just for one day Only good red eyes, red suits and faces will radiate And the cold will hide its face Now the cold's turned away we can be best friends with the people we hate Cause we've all got blood And it's warmer than you think Yeah, it is warm and it is thick We all breathe out clouds we were built to give at least once each year And that's better than ever, I guess And life might never get better than this it isn't fully anti-Christmas. In doing my research, there's a humorous radio essay for the Finnish broadcasting company YLE that Tuve Janssen recorded, where she describes Christmas as panic. And she says... <laughs> Why should we clean ourselves angry? Why should we eat so much just because it's Christmas? Why do we make it into a transaction of goods when already one gift covers the idea of Christmas? It's enough with the Christmas tree, the candles, and that we, together with the ones we love, make Christmas a time for rest and celebration in the dark times of the year. I think that suggests to me that Tuve Janssen understands the real meaning of Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> jag vet ju inte hur ni uppfattar julen. Kanske ni verkligen medvetet tänker på den som dagen när Jesus föddes. Kanske ni ser julen som en fest för ljusets återkomst. Let's talk about the presents. So, Moomin Mama is regifting, right? Moomin Papa gave her this beautiful silk rose. Right. Presumably as part of their courtship and she has given it to the Christmas. The snork maiden is giving away her ankle ring, which we know she's very attached to. Moomin Troll gave it back to her in Comet in Moomin Land. Moomin Papa gives his best trolling spoon. Did you look up what a trolling spoon was? I did indeed. A trolling spoon <laughs> is a fishing lure. But it's good that it's called a trolling spoon, isn't it? It is good that it's called a trolling spoon. It sounds much more exciting than a fishing lure. All of the presents are things that are really meaningful to the person giving yes. them, rather than the people who received them. Because we don't know who's going to receive them. And whether they're woodies or squeaks, I think the implication of the story is that they will get the presents. Yeah, but at the time of the wrapping, the givers don't know who they're giving to. No, in fact, they think they're giving it to the Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Moomin Troll wraps something so lavish and private he told no one, not even in spring. Rather than lavish and private it's precious and private in mm. mine and i like that better because lavish means like it's big deal it's like expensive it's yeah. impressive whereas precious doesn't mean that it means that it's important to moomin troll what do you think it is i don't know i think it's the wooden figurehead do you <laughs> Very Freudian reading. I think that it's something that's important to him. So I don't mm. know what that is, though. Like, I think that's the point, though. You're not supposed yeah. to know. 
yeah. there's an element of Christmas that is about not knowing, right? Like yeah. you don't know what you're going to get. You don't need to know everything. Some things are personal and secret and not to be shared. It made me think of a story in Bicycling to the Moon by Timo Parvella, as translated by Ruth Ulbaum. It's a book of short stories for children about a cat called Purdy and a dog called Barker. It's a bit Winnie the Pooh, or it's a bit Moomins, but if the characters were a bit less nice. (laughs) I covered it with my friend Matt on Even the Trunchbull about a year ago in the episode called Winter Wheelies, if you want to listen to that. And there's a really great Christmas chapter. Can't you see I'm about to burst with excitement? I can see that, but I don't know why. What time is it? Present time. It's time to give me my present. Purdy's whiskers quivered. His eyes shone in the dark, and the tip of his tail flicked in circles. Barker tilted his head and looked at his friend. The longer he looked, the more agitated Purdy grew. But we agreed we weren't going to exchange presents this year. We were just going to enjoy a peaceful Christmas and good food, and that's what we've been doing. Do you mean... you don't mean... you haven't? Purdy couldn't finish his sentence. He was so upset as the truth began to dawn on him. But that's what we agreed. No presents. Not even a little surprise? (laughs) The kind you buy even when you've agreed not to. Nope. Didn't buy a single present. Not for you or for me. You can't mean that. You're just joking. Now stop it and give me my present or I'll explode, Purdy wailed. I only followed our agreement, and you haven't bought me any presents either. But that's different. You never expect any. But you ought to know me better. Agreeing not to buy presents meant you didn't need to buy an excessive number, but surely you bought me something. Just a tiny little thing. (laughs) You hid one and forgot about it. That can happen. It's understandable, Purdy said hopefully. His voice sounded so pitiful and almost fearful. Barker regretted that he hadn't bought even a tiny present. So he just shrugged, turned and stoked the fire. Purdy slumped on the bench and couldn't find a thing to say. A moment passed, then another. Silent misery had replaced the festive atmosphere. It was as if someone had opened the door and let the spirit of Christmas escape. And of course that someone was Barker. Even though he knew he'd done nothing wrong, he still felt terrible. It's the best kind of Christmas story, which are ones that pop the bubble of Christmas to get to what's inside it. You've got the sadness and there's the fear, right? In a way, they think of the Christmas as a ghost. Within all of that, there's even a little bit of the traditional Christmas idea. So mm. the star at the top of the tree. Yeah. It's like the star that the three wise men follow. 
I do think there's a little bit of Christianity there in Tuve and Finnish and Swedish tradition. Oh, for sure. It's not quite as pagan as I might like. My picture in this book, there is no star at the top of no, the tree. No, it's just the rose. Whereas yours has got the Christian star appearing in the darkness yeah. all around it. Even though I'm not a Christian, the idea of like light in the darkness, yeah, that kind of moment speaks to me particularly at Christmas. In my version, though, when Moomin Mama talks about the star, she says, yes, we ought to have got a star, but of course, it's impossible. A star coming down is impossible, but it happens. A Christmas miracle. They looked at the sky, black and distant, but unbelievably full of stars, a thousand times more than in summer, and the biggest one was hanging exactly above the top of their fir tree. Okay, we've arrived at Natural History Corner. You ready? I am. There aren't very many elements. There are only really two. So I've gone really big on the fir tree. Its Latin name is Abies Pinaceae, and Abies means rising. There is also a short story called The Fir Tree by Hans Christian Andersen. There was a little fir tree. It was the smallest in all the forest. It felt humiliated by its smallness. It wanted to be as tall as the other fir trees in the forest. It wanted to feel the sun on its needles. It wanted to feel the wind through its branches. But it was so tiny that when the hare came running up towards it, instead of going round, it just jumped over. Ultimate humiliation. Every year... It's yearning and yearning to get taller, and it is very slowly getting taller. One year, the hair has to go round instead of going over, and then it realises that some of the biggest trees are getting logged and taken away, and he's like, ooh, where do they get to go? He asks for birds. Some of the birds don't know, but the stork, who's flown back from Africa, says, in the sea, there's really tall ships with really tall masts, and those smell piney, so I think that's where they're going. They're getting to go on the sea. And the little fir tree is like, well, I want to go on the sea. That would be so great. I hate it here. Grows a couple more seasons. And now he's among the tallest trees in the forest. Little birds nest in him. He can feel the sun. He can feel the wind. And he sees that some trees are getting chopped down that aren't even as big as him. Whither can they be going? asked our fir tree. They are not taller than I am. On the contrary, there was one much smaller than myself. And why are they allowed to retain their branches? What is to be done with them? We know, we know, twittered the sparrows, for we have looked in at the windows in yonder town. We know what is to be done with them. Oh, they are raised to the very highest honours, I promise you. We saw through the windows how they were stuck up in a warm room and ornamented with a host of fine things, such as gilt apples, gingerbread and playthings, besides hundreds of tapers. I wonder whether I am destined to so brilliant a career, exclaimed the fir tree in ecstasy. That is even better than crossing the seas. How I do long for Christmas to come around again. I am now grown as tall as the others that were taken away last year. Oh, how I wish I were already placed on the wagon. How I wish I were in the warm room with all the fine things about me. And then, why, surely something still better must be in store. Something far grander still. Or else they would not deck me out so smartly. There must be something much grander and more magnificent yet to come. Only what can it be? I'm so weary with longing, I can't tell you how I feel. 
So then what happens <laughs> is he does get logged the next year. And actually, it's not glorious. It really hurts. And he feels really faint. He gets taken to like some rich dude's house and he gets told he's the most beautiful tree and he gets decked out. They put candles on him and he's like so moved that he shakes, but then like the candles fall out and like burn him a little bit. And then they decorate him with all fine things and fruits and nuts and presents. And then all the children come in and like help themselves and break his branches while they're doing it. And then the children listen to his story under his boughs. The story of Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty fell down but married a princess in the end. And the tree's like, maybe I could marry a princess in the end. And he thinks of a little spruce that he saw in the forest and he thought she might be my princess. And then it's over. Christmas is over. And he's like, I'm ready to do it again. I hope we do it again tomorrow. No, do not do it again tomorrow. He gets dragged up into the attic where little mice come and climb all over him and eat his tallow candles. And they're like, oh, old tree, do you know any stories? And he's like, I know the story of Humpty Dumpty. I heard it on the finest day of my life. And they're like, don't you know any stories about tallow and bacon grease? That's the kind of stories we like. And he's like, no. And he's thinking, well, maybe they're going to plant me again. And maybe they're just waiting till spring to plant me out again. Spring comes, they drag him down the stairs. And in the cold light of day, he sees he's no longer beautiful and green, but brown and breakable. They take him out into the garden. They don't plant him. They just leave him in a corner. And some little boys come along and they pluck off the last yellow star. And then he gets chopped into pieces and burned in the fire. The end. It's a Hans Christian <laughs> Andersen joint, everyone. <laughs> I love it. I do like it. It's grim, though. It's grim, but it, I I think it's a little bit similar. You've got like the little creatures speaking to each other, not understanding what Christmas is, thinking, wow, it must be amazing, I can't wait, and having no idea of what's to come. And I guess that truly, I would say, is a fable. Yeah. It's got a moral. The moral is don't wish your life away. Yeah. All he ever wanted was to grow, to be tall like the other trees and bend in the breeze and then taken to town like his brothers and sisters. Every Christmas when the snow came, he'd watch the woodcutter take his siblings away, and he'd wonder where they'd gone. He'd ask the birds, and they'd tell him, We've flown into town and watched through the windows, and we know where they go, to live in big warm houses, and to be dressed in silver and gold. Oh, to be dressed in silver and gold, said the tree. And then one day, finally, his Christmas came. The family in the forest chose him instantly. He was just right. The woodcutter came and freed him from his roots, and the family brought him to a beautiful, opulent home with big, comfy furniture and a huge TV. They stood him in a tub of sand and hung lights all over him, lights that flashed and danced but didn't burn, and they adorned him with bright baubles and family heirlooms, and with tiny framed pictures and sweet treats. And then, at last, they dressed him in silver and gold. But I think this is a fable too, yeah. because I think that the moral story here is about the real meaning of Christmas or like what it is to really give gifts or what it is to really celebrate and who needs it. Yeah. Because all of the people who didn't need it are the people who communicated to the Moomins how stressful and upsetting and unpleasant Christmas is, which it is. 
But the people who really needed it were the people who had nothing, and they got all of the good things from Christmas about it because they they had lack in their life. Yeah. And so receiving things gave them stuff, not just physical stuff, but emotional stuff, spiritual stuff. But the people who, in theory, had those things already lost it at Christmas because of the stress of Christmas. Yeah. And that's my experience of Christmas. <laughs> You can find the beautiful things, but often it is the very act of trying to get a perfect Christmas. That ruins it. Yeah. That means you don't. It's like a kind of classic tragic flaw in trying to reach hubristically for the perfect Christmas. We sow the seeds of our own terrible Christmases. I haven't finished Natural History Corner. Yeah, that's right. Only stop one on the Natural History Corner train. So at some points, the Moomins in this story are wondering if fir trees are for protection. They are. That is one of their major symbolic meanings, is protection. As is with all evergreens, I think, in countries where winters are cold, the things that stay green in the forest are there to provide hope and renewal and new life. The origin of the word fur. So it's got two places it could come from. It could come from the Middle Ages English, which was fur for fire, or from the Norse fear, which comes from the Proto Indo European word for oak. And the reason that is, is Nordic countries used to be covered in oak forests. And now, because of changes in climate and shifting sort of tectonics, they're full of pines, and so they just took the word for the tree that was most prevalent and stuck it on the new tree ah, that was most prevalent. That's real interesting. Well, especially when you think about like the symbolism of like the summer king and the winter king, the oak king and the holly king, right? That they've actually shared a name. Also, the Norse kind of Adam and Eve myth is like oak and ash, I think. Yes. The brightest star in the winter sky in the northern hemisphere is Sirius. The dog star. So we've got a bit of Soryu represented in this story, a little tiny bit. It's a classic Christmas story that kind of should be within the lexicon of most people's ideas of good Christmas stories, yeah. I think. And yeah. it, clearly it is in Finland, it is mm -hmm. in my family, it probably is in quite a lot of families. What did you think of it though, Nina? I really like it. I really love a Christmas ghost story. I like Christmas stories that have a bit of sadness and disappointment in them <laughs> <laughs> makes it just it's just more real isn't it it's just more real yeah and I, I think my tolerance for purely sweet and happy christmas stories is mostly gone right and it, it all comes right in the end yeah. generally as well i mean i'm yeah. not not in every christmas story as your hans christian anderson <laughs> example shows i'm very fond of hans christian anderson I think he was a very annoying person, but I'm very fond of him. He invited himself over to Dickens' house and didn't leave for months. That's right. I mean, he sounds like he's a very annoying person. Yeah. But the thing is, maybe it's because he was annoying that his stories are so absolutely, like, they are bonkers in all sorts of ways that you're just not expecting in any, like, you're just reading it, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, like, the brothers Grimm are Grimm, but they start grim, they end grim. That like that you know, you, you know what you're getting. You're not surprised by the grimness of the brothers Grimm stories. Anderson often starts really cute. Yeah, and just goes in wild different directions <laughs> depending on how he's feeling that day. 
And there's a lot of like complicated sort of sexuality and yes, sort queer of stuff, feelings. Yeah, so there's a lot of feelings that that Hans Christian Andersen is putting in. And then, in the morning, the shed door opened, and there stood the family. At last, thought the tree, I'm going back to the warmth of the loving house. But they stripped him of his branches and chopped him into logs. And when they had finally finished, they brought him back into the house and chucked him on the fire piece by piece. And as the last log of him burned, as the last glowing embers of him slowly faded away, he thought, Oh, to be a tree in the forest. So speaking of Christmas stories, we have a section in our show where we like to inhabit the worn hat and comfy trousers of a certain snuffkin. And this week, Dave has sourced a question from a reindeer. Before I read out that question, how can listeners submit to this nina you can send us your questions for snuffkin whether you are a listener or a fictional character we take lots of those you can send them to us on twitter and instagram at the pod goblin or you can email us to podhat at gmail.com so this is the submission that we received this week i've had a nose that is red and shiny ever since i was a fawn i've been bullied throughout my life by everyone i know they laugh at me and call me all sorts of names, often connected to the way that I look. I've never been invited to participate in communal recreational experiences within my herd, and I generally feel very isolated and traumatised. Recently, a strange old man appeared suddenly out of the fog and asked me to do manual labour for him, specifically because my nose creates light and that would help him to steer his vehicle. What should I do, Snuffkin? What would you do? Oh, this this is a really sad question. It is. For Snufkin. I think Snufkin would start by saying, I'm really sorry that this has been happening to you. That sounds like a really terrible experience. And there is nothing wrong with having a big nose, a small nose, a red nose, any colour nose. All noses are good noses. This dude that's just come out of the fog to you, how do you feel about him? You know, how do you feel about doing a bit of manual labor connected with your physicality? You know, for different people, that might feel empowering, that might feel like reclaiming the body that was rejected by others, but you know, it might not. Well, yeah, and it's not just being rejected, it's also being objectified. So, as we know, Snufkin is not down for ownership. You do not belong to this old dude in the fog. He's not down for exploitation. So really, it depends whether you feel like doing it. I mean, and is this old guy basically a park keeper? I don't know. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I mean, the thing is, he's not He's not offered anything to this reindeer. No. We all know who we're talking about here. We're talking about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And if you know that song, you'll know that it says in that song that he'll go down in history. But... It's not always fun to go down in history. So our usual <laughs> prescription applies, Rudolph. 
Have you thought about packing up your tent, mm. playing your mouth organ, going for a tramp around the world? I mean, actually, then you might grow a really positive relationship with your nose because you can go and look in all the dark places. Right. And you won't even need to bring a torch. Follow your own nose. Yes. It can light your way. Yes. So, Rudolph, do listen to Snufkin. Yeah. Go out, find your own path, sing your own songs. Yes. Not songs written about you. Yeah. So I hope that helped, Rudolph. I'm going to wish you very happy travels on your own. Next up, we've got Spirit of the Moomins, and you're going first with a piece of work, art, or text that reminds you at this time of year of the Moomins. So I want to recommend you two kinds of media, because the thing is, what Christmas is, is a time when people need solace. And entertainment. Entertainment. They need stories. And so different kinds of stories appeal to different kinds of people. So I'm giving you a book and gifting you a film and you can do both of them or one of them, whichever fits you best. So the first of these Christmas presents that I'm giving to you is by J.R.R. Tolkien, much mentioned on this show. The Father Christmas Letters is the book. It's a book that I got given to me by my older sister, Jo, and she gifted this to me on a Christmas in 1986. So there's many reasons why this book has the spirit of the Moomins. First of all, it's a collection of letters. They were from Father Christmas and they were to his children. And when you look at the letter style, it was all designed to look like Father Christmas's letter styles. So it feels a little bit like the Moomin Mama letter that we have addressed on the show. It is illustrated by Tolkien. And so just like Tuva Janssen illustrates her own stories, the art style is quite kind of basic, you might say. And I guess you could say that about Tuva Janssen's style. The stories or like they begin as very simple kind of anecdotes and they become more complex stories. They are the kinds of things that happen in Moomin's books. Like the silly polar bear is always breaking the presents, breaking the North Pole repeatedly. The houses in it look like Moomin houses. They do. There's like a bandaged up pole, which makes me think of a Hemelin stuck up a barometer The polar bear has lots of relatives. As the books go on as well, there become lots of different characters within the North Pole. You get snowmen, gnomes, goblins, cave bears, red elves, green elves. Like with the Moomin books, they begin with a smaller group and then they start to populate out the world. Unlike the Moomins, Tolkien can't stop talking in. And so he starts these (laughs) lovely little charming anecdotes for his children. But by the end of his letters, it's becoming a big world. It's becoming a conflict between good and evil. Goblins are fighting elves. He's invented his own alphabet again. Indeed. He makes an entire (laughs) new language. There's poetry. It starts being written in verse. It's charming. The other Spirit of the Moomins is a film that needs no introduction, really. The Muppets Christmas Carol. Banger. 
it is maybe the best adaptation of Charles Dickens's Christmas Carol that exists. Definitely. It's very, very true to the text. Yeah. It is also Michael Caine's best performance. <laughs> Not that he hasn't done some good ones, but he's very good no, in this. No, he's great in this. It features cute and funny and philosophical ideas told by characters with a lot of charm and archetypal natures. It's scary, but the monsters are ultimately complicated or nicer than you think. And it just is a story about family, coming together, relationships, seeing the error of your ways. Becoming a better employer. That's right. So certain Father Christmas should pay a little bit of attention to that. <laughs> and the songs are great. Nearly everyone in the family will probably enjoy it. One of my recommendations is something that you might read with some children or you might read to yourself and give you the solitude. The other is something that you can do with a group, with a family, but also may give you some silence within that family. With a thankful heart, with an endless joy, with a growing family, every girl and boy will be nephew and niece to me. So Nina, what is your Spirit of the Moomins this week? My Spirit of the Moomins is Christmas Days, 12 Stories, 12 Feasts for 12 Days by Jeanette Winterson. Jeanette Winterson is like queen of the Christmas short story. There's a really good variety in this book. There's one called The Lion, the Unicorn and Me, which is a really lovely, funny retelling of, you know, the Jesus birth story. But there's also some that are really contemporary. There's a couple of like horror Christmas stories in here. There's also some that are really appropriate for children. There's some that are really melancholy. I would particularly recommend The Snow Mama. Some of them are sort of riffing on that Christmas carol thing, Victoriana right. thing. It's also got 12 recipes for things you can eat in this time. It's got like a little bit of memoir mixed in with each of the recipes because she tells you who she's made these things with, who she's eaten them with. Basically, it's a pick and mix for whatever mood you're in. If you're feeling really festive and jolly, there's some of those. If you're feeling really dark and spooky, there's some of those. If you're feeling melancholy about your family and thinking about murder, there's some of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really, really strong collection of stories. And I would recommend that you maybe read one a day for the 12 days of Christmas. Start today and then just keep going. Carry you through. Happy Christmas, whispered the squeak shyly. You're the first one to think that Christmas is happy, said Moon Papa. Aren't you afraid of what's going to happen when it comes? But it's here, murmured the squeak, and settled down in the snow with its relations. May we have a look? You've got such a wonderful tree.
This week, it's Dave's turn to recommend us a podcast or another piece of media that looks closely and lovingly at a piece of art. Yeah. I mean, it's the spirit of the Pod Goblins hat, this section. Yes. And so it has to have a spirit of our show. Yeah. So normally what we recommend here falls into that specific description. But just to say, it's not exactly the same as that, but it certainly has more spirit of the Pod Goblins hat than most of our recommendations because I'm going to recommend a single episode of a podcast it is my old podcast called getting better acquainted the specific episode was the last episode of the show and it is called the last christmas and it is a collage of all of the christmas specials that i made on that show and it is critical of Christmas in the true sense of the word critical, as in it looks at Christmas and evaluates it, analyzes it, both the good and the bad. So it starts with me and Nina talking. And so, what is more the Pod Goblins hat <laughs> than us talking? We were younger, both of us. We were earlier in our friendship, so listeners may be interested to hear what our dynamic was like then. It has a lot of Moomin elements, like my dad is reading the very story we have talked about today. It's got a lot of my ex-partner Jen in it. I mean, I listened to a little bit of the episode in prep for this, and she really shows off the Moomin mammoness of herself. <laughs> so it has a lot of the spirit of this show. It's also what happens to somebody who has a traumatic relationship with Christmas, but then can't stop making <laughs> Christmas specials. Like, this is a Christmas and here special. here we go again. We're doing one now. This was Dave's idea, listener. <laughs> I think it's good because... <laughs> I think it's good. The time when people need a podcast is Christmas. That's it's the, true. It's the time when the least people are listening, but the people who are listening need it the most. <laughs> So yeah, that's my spirit of the Pod Goblins hat. Oh, good pick. And that's it for episode 15. The Pod Goblins hat is now going on a little winter hibernation hiatus. We'll be back at some point in the spring and we'll be reading the spring tune, which is the first story in the Tales from Moomin Valley collection. But before we go, here are the tiny cliffhangers for next time. What is Snufkin's process when writing a tune? Which is more important, a song or a moomin troll? And how big does one need to be to get a name? Keep track of your mittens and gloves. Bye! Bye!
Yes, we ought to have got a star, whispered Mumin Mamma. But of course it's impossible. <laughs>